if I had done it and been more proactive during the pandemic and not found excuses to not do it, to not network, maybe I would have been here a year ago as opposed to now. So, you know, it's like, there's no perfect time. So now is the time. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. I am here today with Melinda Zaynergera. Melinda, you are a three-time Emmy-nominated film and television editor. Your nominations are for your work on Naked and Afraid XL, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, and Born This Way. And your most recent work can be seen on season four of the hit HBO Max show, now just the Max show. There's a conversation that's not worth getting into, a black lady sketch show. And also, you're going to be working on the upcoming season of American Horror Stories. But most importantly, for the sake of today's conversation, you are also a long time member (laughs) of the Optimizer community. You are an OG that goes way back in the day. And that's why we're here is to talk all about your journey today. So I appreciate you being here and now being one of those star students that can inspire others along their own journey. So thank you. Thank you. Excited to finally get to be here. Yeah, this is going to be fun. So I already kind of mentioned this to you offline, but I'm going to start the conversation with what I just said to you before, which is I knew that you and I were going to be doing a podcast together. When we met all those many years ago, and if I look back into my notes, which by the way, I have in front of me, you probably don't remember, (laughs) but you and I spoke for the first time on September 13th of 2019. Has it been three and a half years? It is amazing to think that it has been that long. I literally don't even recognize you, both physically, because you look very different than you did back then, but I look at the notes and I see the things that you mentioned, the challenges you were facing, the fears that you had, and who you've become now, two completely different people. And I want to talk all about um, what helped facilitate that transformation, because I think so many people in this industry 
are stuck and frustrated with where you were, which is this idea of I'm, I'm doing work that I'm good at, but it's no longer meaningful and I'm not creatively fulfilled by it. And I want to make a transition to something else. And mm -hmm. a lot of people very similar to you trying to get from the unscripted to the scripted world. We're going to talk more about that. We're going to talk more about your story, but I actually want to start from a slightly different angle which is I'm going to get on a soapbox for 30 seconds and you're going to help uh, get on my soapbox with me. No, no. <laughs> There's something that drives me absolutely insane in our industry, which mm -hmm. is whenever somebody asks the following question, and you can probably back this up way more from experience than I could. How do you transition from unscripted to scripted? And everybody's advice is you have to step back to being an assistant editor. Melinda, how do you feel about that advice? Uh, I did not want to take that advice, though there were moments that I contemplated it. And I actually turned down an AE job right before I got Black Lady Sketch Show. And I was like, nope. It, it was someone I had networked with. And I, you know, he was like, if you want it, you can be my assist for a, a Fox show. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to stick to my guns just a little bit longer. And obviously that was the right move. But, you know, you have those moments of like, maybe I should just, just do it, but you don't have to. I think we're learning that more and more now to kind of the more that people do come over from unscripted into scripted that you can kind of make that transition, but it does takes a lot more legwork to get there. It's funny because not only do I disagree with the uh, advice of when people say the only way you can do it is to be an assistant. It's the more likely way, it's the more common way, and it is the, the better known path. But I know a multitude of people, you being the latest on that list, have you decided this is not the right fit for me and I don't wanna go the AE route and you've proven that it can be done. So I'm not saying that it isn't hard, but when people say it literally can't be done, it's complete, total and utter bullshit is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here is to just show proof positive it can happen. But yeah. when you said that you didn't want to do the, the legwork, so to speak, or that there would be more legwork, if we looked at when we started to, to work together back in 2019, and you had the, the distinguishing mark of being in my networking class that started in January of 2020, when we were <laughs> strategizing, how do we set up all these in-person meetings and shadowing opportunities and build relationships? And then of course, March happened. And it's like, so we're in a networking class. What are we going to do for the next two months as the world shuts down? We can't do anything. I will never forget to that class or that semester. Yeah. And that was uh, certainly something that uh, what came out of it as far as all the strategies to network virtually via cold outreach and everything that we teach now would not be where it was without the pandemic. But mm -hmm. what I what I want to, to maybe push back on is that if you had chosen to go the AE route versus the editor route, I don't think it would have been any easier. I think you would have spent years mm -hmm. as an assistant editor as opposed to you spending years kind of clawing and scraping. And, you know, you can talk about some of the short films, some of the indie features. But for me, it's always the question of I want to get there eventually. What am I doing with my time to get there? So talk to me mm -hmm. why you specifically made the choice. I don't want to be an AE and I would rather go the indie route. Part of it is I am not great technically. When I was an AE, when I first started AEing in Unscripted, we were still using tapes. So it was a while. So any of the new, especially in like VFX, Turnables, all that stuff, I had never experienced any of that. Now I had done a bunch of 
indie films and short films, like you said, and I had to be my own assist. And so I kind of figured out how to get things done, especially in Premiere makes it a little, little more user-friendly to be doing that on your own. But every time we would start a new project, I'd have to go back and like go back to YouTube and be like, wait a minute, how do I do proxies? How do I do this? What is the format? So that was just not, I didn't want to invest a lot of time in having to learn a lot of technical things that are not my strong suit. Like I'm very organized. I could do it. I know I could do it if that was literally, you know, there was no other option, but it wasn't something I wanted to invest a lot of time in because I had spent so long editing, you know, it had been like, 13 years since I was an assist. So, so much had changed and in a different genre as well. So I just didn't want to take that time. And I thought it would be more worthwhile to do those independent features or those short films or, you know, things that didn't pay, doing it on the weekends or in the little time I had between shows and actually get the experience of cutting a scripted piece so that I knew I could do it when I got the chance. You know, yes, some of those credits were not like anything that anybody recognized. So, you know, they weren't as legitimate. But some of the stuff you have to do on an independent film, like, as you know, is like way harder than anything when you have like a full support system and, you know, the Warner Music Library and an assistant and a post producer who's doing clearances and pulling things like it's a lot easier when instead of being a one man band. So I thought it was more worthwhile to kind of take the time to actually cut scripted pieces, even if it wasn't paying off initially. But I didn't, I'd rather invest my time that way and get that experience than having to go backwards and learn a bunch of stuff that I was not very good at to be like, or interested in to begin with. Cause I feel like that would have sucked my soul even more than, you know, working on an unscripted show that maybe I wasn't super interested in, but at least I was editing. And I, you know, I always try at least tried to do a bunch of different genres so that I had, you know, I have a shiny floor show, I have a competition show, I've done survival, I've done docu-follow. So I can do all of that. And in some way that all also lends to being able to cut different genres of scripted. So yeah, and the the thing to that really just to reemphasize what I had said before is that both options are going to suck, both options are going to are going to be hard. But how do you actually want to spend your time, knowing that well the choices are I can either be an assistant doing stuff I'm really not that good at that I don't have the aptitude for that I'm not interested in, that's going to suck. But if you're thinking, but that's the path and that's going to lead to the editor's chair, not even that's true because there are a multitude of career assistants in script that are saying, I can't get into the editor's chair because they're not yeah. even transferable. So why go a path that you don't even want to do and you don't want to learn? Whereas at least with the indie route, you're still honing your craft. You're still getting better at dealing with performance and dealing with notes and dealing with difficult, creative people. And frankly, mm -hmm. I don't think there's any better training ground on the planet than editing a really shitty indie film. You want yeah. <laughs> to get good at problem solving really fast, edit something that's low budget in indie because you're your own assistant. There's nobody that's helping you with the story stuff. You have to deal with all these people where this is their baby. This is their life. And you have to manage all the personalities. You come out of that boot camp, you can cut anything with anybody. So to yeah. me, you had so many transferable and valuable skills that came from that. 
Whereas it's not to say that the skills as an assistant editor aren't transferable and valuable. You just didn't care about those skills. You had no interest mm -hmm. in developing them. So that's why I always caution people when they're told you can't make the transition from editor and unscripted to editor and scripted. I vocally and very clearly call bullshit. Doesn't mean that it's not harder to go the other direction, but at least you're doing something with your time that's valuable that you enjoy or where you're still learning and growing, even if it's frustrating. So mm -hmm. that's that's kind of how I wanted to tee off this conversation, just so people know that that to me is the crux of why I wanted to share your story. Now I actually want to break it down. So people are like, that's great, but how did she do it? Um, so I actually want to talk a little bit more about that story. And we have the basics, which are that in the unscripted world, you were clearly working at a very high level. You were multiple Emmy nominated. All three of those shows are like anybody would have heard of those, even if they don't watch Unscripted or Reality. Everybody knows the name of those shows. So if you can remember, and I've got some notes if we need to go back to them, but at least for now, do you want to give uh, give us a little bit more background of what your headspace was when you initially decided that you wanted to reach out to me back in 2019 and you were ready for a change? Yeah, I feel like at that point I had done a couple shorts and uh, two or one uh, kind of indie feature. And I needed the, the structure and the organization of how to like network because like most of us in the post-production, we are uh, introverts and like to be in our little, little dark rooms. And it is hard to, it's hard to ask people for help, I think you know, in just in general, I think we're kind of conditioned to not ask for help or to be like stoic and like get it, you can get it done. But you know, that idea that if you don't tell people what you want or what you're hoping to do, nobody's going to know and nobody's going to think of you for that. So, but I needed the help learning how to put myself out there, learning how to write a good outreach email and how to network smart and figure that out. And just to have, I think also, you know, like you said, I started in 2019. I'm still coming into office hours and part of the community because sometimes it's just nice to sit there and listen to other people talk about their website. And then you're like, oh, shoot, I need to, yeah, I need to do that too. Or, you know, somebody's doing something on their resume and you're like, oh, I should have done, like, I, that would be good on mine. So there's always that, that help and that network and, and being a part of uh, with other people who are kind of also going through the same, like I loved our small group to just, you know, be there and have the, everyone's going through the same thing or trying to do something different and you have that support system. So I really needed this, the guidance and the structure to be able to be brave enough to go out there and network. And uh, yeah, 2020, I literally sent like my first networking email to somebody in like February, January, and we made a plan to meet for like drinks and we had a great like networking. And I was like, yeah, this is great. I'm going to do another one. The next weekend, everything shut down. And I was like, mm -hmm. womp, womp. So, but yeah, that first email went off great. So <laughs> and not only did it go off great, you don't need to mention the name, but we're, I went back through the notes because I thought I remembered. I'm like, yep, I remember who it was too. Anybody in the scripted world would know who this person is. Emmy winning, works on huge shows. You send one email, 
you, yeah, and movie, sent one email, all set up to do the meeting. And then, of course, you know, the world decides to take a crap. Mm-hmm. But from that point on, it wasn't you or the other students that chose to give up. We just decided we're going to deviate and we're going to go a slightly different path and started to do everything virtually. And for the next year or the next really two years, the world was just kind of an unmitigated disaster. But I, what I kept saying, and I was confident-ish at the time, but I wasn't sure I didn't have the data, but I was like, something tells me that there's going to be two types of people. There's going to be those that have their head in their sand and they're going to wait until things go back to normal. They're going to start to put themselves out there. But I really believe the ones that are doing the work now while everybody is afraid, they're the ones that are going to build the network and build the relationships and they're going to shoot out of the gates and they're going to start to see success. You were part of that camp that even though it wasn't like as soon as the market opened, oh, hey, I'm working in scripted on my favorite shows. But you really started to make inroads and build those relationships such that you are where you are now. And Mm -hmm. I just I want to go back now to a couple of very specific things that you said to me way back in 2019, (laughs) where the advice you're giving now, just I don't even recognize the same person. First of all, when I asked you, what are the things that you really like to do? Like if you really if you did every what I always say to my new students, let's pretend you did everything right. Where do you want to be in about three years in your career? And you said that what I really want to do is I want to edit shows that I would watch and I would love to work on like premium HBO shows. Mm-hmm. Boom. Look at where we are now. You're literally there. <laughs> and I asked you the question, well, what, what's stopping you from making that happen? And you said, well, it's really hard for me to say when I want things from people because I always feel like I'm asking too much. And you literally said, I have this in my notes. Help me, help me, help me. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what you thought networking was. And you said, I'm just really, really shy. And now you're giving all this great networking advice and you're building all these uh, these relationships. But when you when you first came to the program, boy, were you just in a shell. You were just so in this little shell. Right. And now, like I said, I literally don't even recognize you. Thank you. I mean, I will say I'm still in a little bit of a shell sometimes. But, you know, yes, we all are. (laughs) Yes. I think the one thing that the good thing about the pandemic and networking is that suddenly everybody was on Zoom, right? And it's so much easier to ask somebody to chat with you on Zoom for 30 minutes or an hour than coffee or uh, a meetup. Because, you know, when we are working, it's so hard to like get away and like, yeah, you might talk to somebody for, me- for an hour having coffee or lunch or whatever, but it's a 30 minute commute and maybe a 45 minute, you're asking for so much more time. Whereas it's so easy for people to be like, yeah, let's just hop on a Zoom because you know, you're right there at your computer. There's no commute time. So I think that is one of the blessings that we had for, for networking that now everybody could, you know, once you have a relationship with somebody, yeah, meet for coffee or lunch or whatever, because you've established that. But it is also easy to be like, hey, can you know, I have questions or whatever, following your structure. But and you know, it so many times it's been like, yeah, let's just hop on a zoom. So that made things so much easier. And I think takes the fear out for both sides, right? For somebody who is being reached out to cold or warm. And then also the person sending the email, because you know, you don't have to, you're not asking as much time if someone's like, yeah, I can do 30 minutes on a Zoom over my lunch break. So you're, you're not, you don't also feel like you're asking for as much. So I think that's one kind of bonus of the Zoom era. Yeah, and what that, I think that's one of the greatest things to come out of an otherwise horrible situation of the pandemic is that's now just the new norm. We can mm-hmm. still meet with people. We can still go to lunch and grab coffee. 
Nobody wants to. We still want to do Zoom because we don't want to go anywhere. So I, I love that that's just become the new norm and it's it's allowed people to become so much more accessible. And I know that you've experienced this some. And when I worked with you, it was still much more the, hey, guys, um, I kind of don't know what I'm doing, but let's figure it out together and see what you think of this strategy. Now, I mean, you've kind of seen the evolution where now it's just like it is a system. It's a formula step by step by step. Do the following 10 steps. Boom, you get results. Uh, my last semester out of, I think I had 10 students in my class. They sent the email like clockwork all at the same time on a Friday afternoon. The following week, 50% of them not only got a response, but all five of them, the response from the person was exactly what you said. You know what? Why don't we just jump on Zoom? And that was the mind blowing part, because as you learned, you don't ask for it, right? Yeah. Before it was, well, you know, hi, my name is Melinda and I've, you know, I'm interested in this and my resume is attached for your reference. Anytime to grab coffee so I can pick your brain or jump on Zoom. Not that you were doing that, but a lot of people right. do that. And I just want to, I want to clarify when you said that you were hopping on Zoom with people, you weren't asking them for it. They were asking you with the way that you connected with them and started the relationship. So basically, I want to pull back the curtain. I don't want it to be any secret where people are like, what, are they going to tell us how they did it? Or is he just going to force us to join and pay? Like, I want people to know how you made this happen, every gory detail. I want them to walk away from this conversation, total mindset shift for how they can build these relationships because you are proof positive. You put in the work, you are patient, you learn your craft, you make sure that people know that you are awesome at your craft, you get results. So let's break down, how did we help you transition from, oh God, I don't want to bother people and I'm so shy and I don't want to ask for help to, yeah, I'll, I'll reach out to you know one of the best known female editors in scripted television and see if she'll set up a call with me. Like, what? How did we start to break down those barriers and what are the strategies that really stick out for you? I think one of the biggest things is being specific about and I'm not always a specific, you know, we all think, oh, I can cut anything. I can do anything, you know, back in the acting days, that same thing. I can play any character, but you really can't. And there are things that you want to do more than others. So specifically, I think that idea of dialing down into what do you want to be doing and who is a few years ahead of you, because then you know who to reach out to. And, you know, your amazing spreadsheet that is so, so many drop downs and is so, uh, uh, in depth, but like finding those people that are working on the shows that you want to work on helps, I think, make that connection when you reach out to them and say, oh, I really loved this or that. I was lucky that I had a little bit of a fun connection with that person that I reached out to as well, because we were nominated for Emmys at the same time and in the same category. So I was able to be like, you stole my Emmy. Um, <laughs> That's a really good way to, to, to start with the subject line. Hi, you stole my Emmy. Yes. I would open that. <laughs> yes. And so, you know what I mean? Like, and finding those kind of ways of connecting because you're connecting with their material as well. So, and I've even done that within, within the optimizer community. There was, another person on, you know, the new student orientation that, you know, I kind of get on and I, I am DB everybody to see who's doing mm -hmm. what. And somebody popped up that I was like, I love that show. I want to work with those people. And afterwards I just kind of reached out to him on the community Slack and was like, Hey, I'm totally using Zach's, uh, what you're going to learn in Zach's class on you. But well, I love the show and did all that. And he was like, yeah, let's meet for Zoom. So. I think being specific about what you want to work on helps because then 
you are narrowing your focus and it isn't so much that just like throwing spaghetti at the wall. And I think it makes it more comfortable in those initial cold outreaches because you you have feelings about, you know, the show itself or the material. So you connect, can connect with it, which helps. And I feel like I lost the plot. Yeah, no, I you, you didn't lose the plot at all. And I'm just going to double down on this is that a, a core part of the strategy that I teach is that your outreach has to be genuine and authentic. If it's just because mm-hmm. I want a job and I could say, I really like your show, congrats on your Emmy, right? That, that stuff doesn't work. But if something resonates with you and you know what you want to do, you can be very mm-hmm. clear in your story about here's why your work resonated with me. Here's how it connects with my hero's journey because I'm on my own journey and mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable. Here's where I'm stuck right now. Something tells me that maybe you were stuck in a similar place and you might be a person that I could uh, reach out to with a question or two. Like just that alone, mm-hmm. those three components, having value, having a clear story and having a clear ask make all the difference in the world. And I know that you've, I don't know how many or how few, but you've scheduled very, very few hot seats. However, my guess is if I looked at attendance records, you might have the highest attendance record of any office hours participant in four years because you're always there. You're always in the background and you're totally a lurker, right? But I'm like, oh, good, Melinda's here today. So even though we never actually see each other, it's just like, oh, great, she's here again today. So I always see the name in the list Mm -hmm. and I know you're going to be a lurker and I'm not going to call you out. Well, every once in a while I do, but for the most part, I don't and I just let you be. But the the importance of just being there and being present, you can see uh, and you can attest to the fact that if people come into this, especially somebody that might not have gone through the class, they're self-guided, they schedule a hot seat, and one of two things happens the very first week they schedule it. Either I've got this email and I want you to pick it apart, or can you look at my resume? So you can Mm -hmm. say firsthand that what always happens is within about five minutes, we realize that you're on step 17 and you need to be on step one because you have no idea what you want to do with your life. You think you need to change the fonts on your resume or the order of your credits, but you have no clue what your goals are, which goes back to you saying that the very beginning of the process, what do I actually want to do? Because if I just say, mm-hmm. oh, I want to work in scripted, well, you could have ended up through some connection from somebody at a bowling mixer or whatever, being an editor on a, a multi-camera sitcom. You're an editor mm-hmm. in scripted, but is that any more fulfilling than what you're doing in unscripted? Right, yeah. And you know, I also tried to keep it specific too. I was really looking for people who had made that transition from unscripted to scripted without being an assist or maybe only one or two seasons or one or two shows and with a couple people about you know how they made that transition even if they did take that step back and part of it was also being you know like the idea of being very clear if you are going to take that assist position that i am trying to get in the room with this group of people because I want to work on this show or this type of show with this group of people, but I don't want to be an assist. So if I take this job, I'm not saying I want to co-edit or credit right away, but just so you know that like I'm trying to get in the room and make these other connections with the showrunner or other editors and hopefully be able to move up within your team because I want to work for this team. Like there were a couple like like I said, a positions that kind of came up over the last couple of years on like like what we do in the shadows. And I was like, you know what? I would kill to be a part of that group. I'm going to send my resume in, even though I'm 
unqualified, then you, you also hear a lot, well, you're not really qualified to be an AE. I'm like, yeah, I know. Cause I haven't done it in 13 years, but like, you know, that with something like that, I was like, I would kill to be a part of this group and have these editors know me on a day-to-day basis. So would I take a step back for a show like that? Yes. Would I take a step back for maybe like NCIS or something like that? No, because that's not even like the wheelhouse that I want to be in. It's hard to make that, I think, line in the sand sometimes because you do want to just kind of grab onto whatever you can. And sometimes, you know, and sometimes you, I mean, I feel like if I had gotten offered an NCIS editor position, I probably would have taken it because it would have been like, it's something and then I'll, next season I'll move on from there, but at least I have Mm -hmm. that credit. But yeah, maybe not as an assist. So you have to kind of pick your battles. And I think... You know, and I did contemplate it. There were times where I was like, oh my God, it's never going to happen. Maybe I should just do like the master of the workflow and and try that route. But yeah, you you don't know how long that route's going to take either. So yeah, it's, that's it's a risk either way. Part. Yeah, there's, there's no light at the end of the tunnel where, and I talk about this all the time with, if you want to be a brain surgeon, well, you can go on Google and it'll tell you exactly pretty much in the amount of months it's going to take to become a brain surgeon. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly complex and it's incredibly challenging, but it's also really simple. Follow mm-hmm. the following seven steps for this many years, meet these guidelines, and you too can be a brain surgeon. Right. doesn't work that way to be an assistant editor or an editor in television at all. It could take you a year. It could take you 18 years, mm-hmm. right? Go back and listen to the episode with Kelly Dixon right? One of the biggest names in editing movie and features and TV. She's like, I did this for 18 years before somebody gave me a shot. You just don't know. And it makes it so much harder to say, well, if I knew this was going to happen a year from now, of course, I'm going to turn down AE jobs and I'm going to weather the storm. But I don't know if it's ever going to happen. So Mm -hmm. should I settle? And if your bank account says you need a job, there's no shame in taking a paycheck job. But I just hate it when people settle because they're afraid that they can't make it happen or it's not going to. Because if Mm -hmm. you just continue to persevere and you put in the work, I see this happen over and over and over, but it's not easy. It's very, very hard, difficult work. And I think that one of the things that really, it didn't make it easy, but it made it easier for you was the level of specificity that you had even before you started to reach out. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, 
it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. So I've actually gone back into the archives and I have the actual exercise that I went through with you to help oh you decide what is it that I actually want to do rather than I'll do anything and I just want to work in scripted. Mm-hmm. So this process has been refined a little bit better than it was back on January 21st of 2020. But I'd asked you and the other students, I said, what are some of your dream projects? And you mm-hmm. want me to give you the, I can't believe how good my notes are, by the way. I'm shocked. Right. Like, whoa, I can't believe I, I found I don't think this. I have my notes. Um, but I'm, I'm going to give you the projects that we broke down and I'm going to take you through the same exercise that we went through back then because this has been oh, yeah. a game changer for so many students. So I asked you, if you could crawl across broken glass, what are some shows you'd want to cut? You said Ozark, Sharp Objects, When They See Us, Glow, Shit's Creek, Better Call Saul, Barry and Insecure. I'm mm-hmm. assuming this is the same Melinda, correct? I didn't get the wrong yeah. notes. Sounds like nope. you. That sounds right. right. So if you were to just look at that on the surface, most people would categorize it as well. It's TV or it's drama versus comedy or it's 30 minute versus one hour, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot more nuance to it. So we started to break it down and go even deeper. So let's do this again. I'm curious to see if your answer is going to be the same now as it was three years Mm -hmm. ago. Let's look at these and I'm going to say them again. Ozark, Sharp Objects, When They See Us, Glow, Schitt's Creek, Better Call Saul, Barry and Insecure. What Mm -hmm. are the deeper themes that resonate across multiple genres and formats? What do you see as the patterns? A lot of them are darker comedies. A lot are female-driven shows, which I think I still tend to lean into. And for me, and I I think I knew this then, and I still feel this way too, you know, people are like, oh, do you want to do features? And I really like Right now, who knows, maybe I'll do features down the road, but I really like sitting with characters for a longer period of time and really getting to live with them. So they're all a little bit higher end streaming shows too, where you're kind of getting getting to live in those characters a little bit more. But yeah. a lot of them, are they're, they're dark, they're character driven, RAP glow, they're a lot of female driven yeah. as well. So it's funny that uh, I believe at least two of those, maybe more, but at least two of them are HBO shows, um, which I find funny given where you ended up. But I say funny because it wasn't a coincidence either. You were led in that direction based on going through an exercise similar to this and getting clarity. So Mm -hmm. some of my notes that I have from back then, which are eerily similar, uh, you said, well, I like my drama with a little bit of comedy. That was definitely one of them. Uh, But another one that you didn't mention today that I think is really important is finding the similarities in the characters. You mentioned that you like character-driven, serialized stories where you can really sit with them for episodes and months and even years. And -hmm. you said that I'm really interested in complex, quirky characters that are struggling to navigate life and do the best that they can themselves with larger themes about society and relationships. Ooh, how deep is that? That 
I feel like you probably uh, tweaked that a little bit because that sounds too smart. I, to I take no, I take pretty <laughs> crappy notes. They're pretty much verbatim, and they've got about a hundred typos in them. So that my guess smart. is. I don't have enough time to think about taking notes. I just dictate I'm the worst court reporter ever. And I just put a bunch of stuff in my notes. But the, the, the importance of this is that if, if we were to just say, well, Ozark and Schitt's Creek, well, there, there's, there's no similarities. You're saying, do you want to work in 30 minute comedy or do you want to work in dark premium one hour drama? You got to pick one. Both. both. Yeah. But the the point is that if you find those similarities, you now have transferable skills where you can Mm -hmm. say there are certain things about the characters on Schitt's Creek, for example, that could be transferred to the way the performances or characters are done or written on a show like Ozark. Or you look at now, the reason I bring this up is look at the two most recent credits on your resume. Black Lady Sketch Show, an American horror story on paper that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But the reason I bring it up is because of this fear of being pigeonholed. And I think you're right. one of those. When you look at such a diverse resume in the unscripted world, and then you look at the indie stuff that you did in the interim to make the transition, now as soon as you're in the the high-end premium scripted world, immediately it's impossible to pigeonhole you. Mm-hmm. So that that seems to be a very career-long trend for you. And what I'm curious about is how conscious are you of avoiding it versus, well, it's just kind of happened that way and I got lucky. Definitely conscious of it as in unscripted for sure. There, you know, I spent um a long time in the docufollow over at Buna Murray. Uh, I was there for like three years straight, which was amazing because you never had to worry about a job. They just put you from show to show to show to show. But after a few years of that, you're like, I've been cutting the same thing. I don't want to only be, you know, a docu-follow person. So I did, I think that's when I was, then I went to Naked and Afraid. So I was having the like, you know, survival travel adventure. Uh, Had to work pretty hard to get into competition shows and stuff. So I definitely made a conscious effort to not only cut one thing in unscripted. And that is also my goal in my transition to scripted that I want to be able to cut both. Like, and as much as, as fun as cutting sketch, sketch comedy is and the fast pace and the jokes and all that, it's great. But sometimes, you know, I do also want to be able to be in those like darker dramas, those more serious things with a little more breathing room and just very fortunate that these two shows have come back to back like this so that I can kind of be like, no, I have two different things here. Like I can do comedy and I can do drama. So, but it, that is definitely a, a thought and, and something that going forward, I am also looking at too, like where to not only be doing one thing because, you know, we watch different things and you're, and like you said, like, what's the difference between Ozark or what are the similarities between Ozarks and Schitt's Creek? Well, they're both like families that are kind of dysfunctional, falling apart thing. You know, their worlds are crumbling. One just happens to be dealing with the Mexican cartel and people die every day. And one just happens to be, you know, living in a motel in Canada. So they're similar, you know, if you really dig dig deep but it's just how you present them yeah but yeah definitely conscious in in not wanting to be pigeonholed no matter what i'm doing so right and what one thing that i think you already uh know better of that i want to to make sure we highlight you already know my feelings on this but i want to get your perspective on it you already know how i feel about people being pigeonholed and mm-hmm. i instead say you don't get pigeonholed you pigeonhole yourself 
And you mm -hmm. pigeonhole yourself by saying yes to the same thing over and over and over. You have nobody to blame but you if you're pigeonholed because it's as simple as saying yes to the next thing that's just like the previous thing. But mm -hmm. given all of that, the kind of the, the deeper fear or the, the deeper emotion that goes to this point where you are even in your career now, I don't know if you experienced this or not, but it's this thought of who do you think you are saying no to things when you should just be thankful that you're getting any scripted work? Have you ever had that mm -hmm. thought of like, just, oh, yeah. just stay in your lane and who do you think you are? You've got a job, you should take it. Like, I bet that assistant editor gig, you're like, who do I think I am I, I am to say no to this right now? Oh, yeah. And, and I really like wrestled with it and, you know, talked with my husband about it. Like, I have this chance, like this opportunity and the, um, the editor was really great, you know, and knew that I was hoping to, to launch that into cutting and he was cool with that. But I was just like, you know, I gotta, I feel like I have to stick to my guns at least a little while longer. And when I emailed him back and I was like, I, I, I may kick myself in the butt for this and, and, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say no. I think I need to stick out this route. And he was like, I'm actually glad you said that. You know, he, he was like, I think you should too. And then, you know, a couple months later when I was like, Black Lady Scout Show is coming out. He was like, see, I knew you, I knew you could do it. So, and I think that's, you know, part of it too, is also being honest with people about what you want to do. And, and if you are thinking about taking that assist route that, you know, we're, we all want to root for each other. I think we forget that because we do feel like, and this industry, they do such a good job of of pitting us against each other that yep. there's always somebody to replace you. And there is, you know, there is always somebody to take your spot if you don't want it, but you have to, you have to advocate for yourself too. And that, is, that can just be like, I'm tired of cutting this type of show. I'm going to try and do something different. And you may hear no, which you know, it was shocking. You're like, but I cut this, I can cut that. And they're like, oh, you know, you don't have shiny floor show experience. I was like, what? I was like, but it's cutting packages and then live and okay, I don't have shiny floor show experience, you know? So it's, you get those, no matter what, you know, either unscripted, scripted, people are going to tell you, you don't, haven't done something but you just have to, if you want it, you just have to keep pushing too. So it's like, okay, well, not this show, but the next one, I'll find another one who will take mm -hmm. me or it maybe take, maybe it'll be season two and then I'll be on it. You said no now, but I'll come back around. And so, yeah, you just have to, to keep plugging in that way. Well, I want to play the alternate timeline game for a second. Just speaking of this whole, I, you know, was, was thinking, oh my God, I could be kicking myself for saying no to this AE job. Mm -hmm. Let's go back in time and let's assume that you said yes. And now you've committed to being an AE and two months into this gig, you find out there's an editing chair with your name on it on Black Lady Sketch Show. Let's talk about kicking yourself now because this is the situation that scares everybody when they're at, in that position. So mm -hmm. let's look at that side of it. How, how do you think through that? Because I would assume that was one of your fears is if I say yes, there are other things I have to say no to. Did you go through that thought process as you were deliberating this? Yes, yes. And Sketch Show came up shortly thereafter, but I was actually like waiting to 
for an interview at another production company with Ryan Murphy, but you know, which it actually took six months to finally get that interview. But I had been kind of playing email tag with mm-hmm. the assistant over setting up this interview and that wasn't coming through and this other offer. And I was like, ah, I don't know what to do. You know, this interview never doesn't hasn't materialized and it took six months to actually happen. But I was like, you know what? I just have to, to hold out. And I didn't because the, the guy who was offering me the assist position was so lovely. And even though he knew, like, I also feel like if I had been given the opportunity, I would have had to be like, I'm leaving. And at that point, you know, they would have been shooting and that would have put him definitely in the lurch, you know, because this was at the time when assists were were in scarce scarcity Mm -hmm. because we were super busy at the end of last summer, beginning of the fall before everything went sideways. Yeah. So it wasn't like an easy fill. I'm sure it would have been, but yeah, I would not have, I thought about if I had had to make that decision to be like, Oh, now this came up after like two weeks after I agreed to do this for you. And that was part of the thought process too. I didn't want to burn that professional bridge as well. So, yeah, that, that's a big consideration yeah. in all of these. A, a lot of people there are, you've heard me say this a thousand times as uh, being my number one lurker. Um, but so many people get caught in the game of checkers. It's like, well, I don't know, mm-hmm. like, I, I guess I could take it for a couple of months. And if something comes along, I'll just bounce to the next thing. But people remember that. And if you're playing a game of chess and it's about relationships, even though that person might have even been supportive, at the end of the day, they're going to remember that you left them in a place where we're two months into shooting and it's a shit show and I'm working on three episodes and now I'm training a new assistant editor. It doesn't leave mm-hmm. a good taste in person's mouth. So even if you're not burning yeah. a bridge, it's it's still something that changes the complexity or the tone of that relationship such that let's mm-hmm. say that six months or a year from now, that editor knows of another editing chair on your show even though you said no, my guess is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, they actually think more highly of you for saying no as an assistant. They'd probably recommend you more highly as an editor versus, well, we already brought her on and she bailed on us. And like that, those are the kinds right. of considerations that most people aren't thinking about. They're just thinking about, I got to get in the chair, but they're not thinking longer term. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I will say I was on a unscripted show when Black Lady Sketch Show came up and I was like, sorry, guys, got to bounce. But, you know, at that point, the two were not equal. Uh, yeah. And that, and that's where so if, if you're working was, with the right people, the hope is their response is, that's awesome. Yeah. Good luck. We'll figure it out. Right. Because the, they get it. They know how many people in the unscripted world are trying to make that transition. So if you're surrounded by the right people, it's like, we can't compete with that. Good for you. Congratulations. Right. We'll figure it out. And I don't I don't know how it all went down, but you, you're right. It's just it's not, you know, different variations of apples. You know, it's totally apples versus oranges and the difference between the value of the two for your career trajectory. Every once in a while, you're going to have to make that choice. But yes. committing to two months of being an AE that you didn't kind of really want to be anyway. And then the first chance comes along to leave like that's that that's going to scorch some earth. So, so you made the tougher choice, bigger picture by avoiding the more comfortable choice in the, the short term. And clearly mm-hmm. in hindsight, you know, it didn't even require much hindsight at all, but clearly it all worked out. So yes. I'm very happy yeah. about that. So now I want to actually break down some of the, the details 
of how the connections were made and the strategies used? Because we know that you spent some time really digging into what are the shows that are creatively meaningful to me? What are some of the themes? Without going into specific names, it, it helps you fill out a spreadsheet and identify, mm -hmm. these are the people I need to surround myself with. Those that are doing now what I want to be doing next. But mm -hmm. that didn't happen in three weeks. It's actually happened for some of my students in less than three weeks. But for you, this was a period of years, which is a lot more common. But mm -hmm. walk me through whatever pieces you want to put together of the jigsaw puzzle that's jumping from this connection to this connection to this connection that answers the question, how did you actually end up on of all unscripted or of all scripted shows, one of the top scripted Emmy winning shows on premium cable? Like, how did that actually happen ground level? Well, I will say I am fortunate because I have people in my network who were ahead of me that I had worked with in Unscripted who had made that jump. And so I had some warm connections that I was able to leverage that got me on both of these shows. But, you know, even saying that, like, it took several years of you know, saying, oh, hey, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing these indie films. I'm trying to make the jump into scripted. Okay, great. And keeping those relationships alive and, you know, hoping that I, you know, I had one friend who passed my resume along maybe five or six times in, in 2022 and, you know, didn't, didn't get an interview or got an interview, didn't get the job. And then finally, you know, it finally hit. So I was lucky that I was able to use some of my already existing network because I did have those people just a little bit ahead of me who had made that jump from unscripted to scripted. And they, you know, are, I feel like also kind of in a trailblazing way were ones who were able to do it without going back to assisting, mm -hmm. I think. I think one person assisted for like one episode on a show. And then at the same time, I was also trying to find those people that, and you know, I will say I am not, I was not the most outgoing or gregarious cold outreacher. I did reach out to a lot of people within the optimizer community who worked on shows that I liked or who had made that jump. So I started, you know, working that connection. Yes, it was a cold connection or cold outreach when I would email them based on the shows that I knew they had worked on. But, you know, we're all, we're all in a little group and we know we're also here to like help each other. So that makes it great that you could be like, oh, hey, I'm also in the optimizer community and I saw you worked on this and I love that show. And, you know, I see you've done X, Y, Z and now you're here you know, this is my journey. This is where I'm at. And I'd love to get some of your experience or how you, you did that as well. So, and I know I'm going to have to like on my to-do list is definitely like work on my new email outreach list because things have changed since, since in the last few months to make those new connections on other shows that I would want to work on. Yeah. I think just, it was finding the people that were on shows that I wanted to work on. And then also if it, I think it helps too, if, if there's, you also know somebody else, I was kind of, kind of trying to keep the thing small, like, Oh, I also know so-and-so who you've worked with on this show. Or, you know, I've even had friends who were an actor on a show 
and they knew like this person and made those kind of connections backwards like that way. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core 360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. The, the couple of things that I want to pull out are one of the words you use that I think you use strategically without realizing you did it is you said I was very fortunate to have these people in my existing network that had blazed the trail. What you didn't say was I was lucky because there's a difference between those two. And you know you know how mm -hmm. I feel about people that ascribe all their circumstances and what happens because of luck. It's lucky that you got on a black lady sketch show if you put in absolutely no effort to reach out to people that you already knew and you're just plugging away in your shiny floor competition show, you haven't reached out to one person in years. And they're like, hey, Melinda, remember me? We worked mm -hmm. together seven years ago. There's a chair with your name on, on a black lady sketch show. Do you want it? That fell into your lap. Boy, was that lucky. Right. But what I want to dig into deeper is not just there were these people that blazed the trail and there were warm connections, but how you maintained and enriched those relationships. Because as you know, one of the most common topics we talk about is not cold outreach, because frankly, that's really simple. There's a formula, you follow it, you fill in the blanks, mm -hmm. done. It's like Mad Libs for outreach. Warm outreach is way more complex. And as you know, most of our students come to me saying, I've got this relationship, I know this person, I worked with them before, how do I approach the outreach? So mm -hmm. how were you able to navigate these warm relationships to be able to leverage what ended up being this job that was the perfect fit for you? Because none of it was an accident. Right. No, I think one thing that I used the indie features I was working on and the web series. So that that was always something great to be able to put on social media like, oh, you know, this is dropping even if it's on just like Tubi or whatever, so that people could see that I was working in scripted, even if it wasn't a big big project or a release. So there was always, you know, using that to be able to be say like, Hey, I'm doing this. And then also just reaching, like connecting with them, you know, when a black lady sketch show came out and they, you know, my, my friend was on it in season two, like, Oh my God, 
this is amazing. Like, congratulations. I can't wait to watch it and, you know, or watching it and being like this sketch, I died and keeping those friendships. And then, you know, and also being like, and I'm also doing this or like, and then being like, I'm trying to make the the thing I've been doing this and this again, I'd love to talk to you about like your experience going from, you know, when we were cutting our crappy ghost shows together, like in the last few years or since the last time I saw you, like, how did you bridge that gap? Because I'm trying to do that myself. So I think it, it helps. I, for me, I feel like it helped having something to talk about, either something that they just did, or I also have this thing so I can show you or talk about it. And then again, just at like being like, you know, we were both, we were sharing a, an edit bay wall. Like, how did you get from there to there? Cause I just want to follow behind you and, and just asking. And I think, you know, and that, that can be kind of the hardest part with people that, you know, I think is, is actually saying like, Hey, cause you do feel like you don't in any outreach, cold or warm, you don't want to feel like I'm just asking you like, Hey, I want a job. It's those moments of, of keeping like a friendly connection and not talking about work or like, oh my God, your dog is so cute. I love his little face. Like, or your vacation looked great. Finding those ways, especially with the warm one to kind of keep those friendships open and natural where, especially if you haven't seen someone in a while, you might have let that slide and not, but also you have to say like, this is what I want. This is, this is my goal. And I'm not necessarily asking you to help me, but like I'm asking for knowledge and information so that I can help myself. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's kind of the the difference and maybe and how you have to feel about it. Like, I just want you to, to inform me so that I can can imitate what you've done or, or try those similar things. I'm not asking necessarily asking you to help me. If you pass my resume along, that would be amazing. But I can at least try and imitate what you've done because it worked for you. And then, you know, science, it can be, rep you can replicate it and yeah. then it's a real thing. So, yeah, I think yeah. The, the, the hugely important distinction that um, I think you pointed out so eloquently is it's not help me, it's help me to help myself. It's show me what I, I'm willing to do the work I will put in the work. I'm just unclear what to do next. You've walked a very similar path. When you ran into the same obstacle, what did you do? And if you mm -hmm. share with me that information, I will take the action and I will help myself. I just don't know how. That's the difference between, and you use a very key word where you said that when you were reaching out, you were maintaining friendships. You didn't say that mm -hmm. I was keeping my contacts warm, right? Or mm -hmm. I was, you know, keeping, I was maintaining my connections. I hate all of those phrases. You were maintaining yeah. your friendships. You were just real people. And mm -hmm. what I often say is that when there's an opportunity available, it's not always about I need to find the most qualified candidate like you, you take the we'll get into this part in a second. But if I were to step into this position and uh, we were looking for an editor on Cobra Kai, I don't have this perfectly organized list of resumes and everybody know in the past that's broken down by criteria and drop down menus and spreadsheets. It's gee, who's a good fit that I talked to in the last three months and I remember their name. Oh, yeah, I should recommend this person. So it's not mm -hmm. always about being the best candidate. It's about always being the most recent one which is why maintaining mm -hmm. these friendships, I would assume in some way, shape or form, when the chair came along, they're like, oh, we should talk to Melinda. So am I, am I totally off base and that that's how the Black Lady Sketch Show conversation started? Yes, yes, absolutely. And my friend had been 
And she'd been passing my resume along, like I said, probably like five or six times over the year between Black Lady Sketch of season three that I did not get and season four that I did get. You know, she would pass my resume, pass my resume, like here, I would get an interview, I would get nothing. But, you know, it was one of those things where she was always like, are you available? Are you interested in this? Are you available? Like, or I, I can't take this. I'm sending your resume. Like I can pass it in. So, and and it, yeah, and I think it helps you know that we'd worked together before. So she also knew how I am to work with. It was I was a a reliable suggestion as opposed to being somebody that mm-hmm. we hadn't worked with. So you know that you feel secure. This person isn't gonna you know, show up and be a crazy person, why, which I think, you know, it, why it is kind of so important to even those cold outreaches that you have to kind of think that you're going to cultivate them for a while so that they can really know who you are as a person as well. If they, if they haven't worked with you before, because it's always, you know, you, part of your, I guess, you know, street cred or your, you know, value, you don't want to pass along just anybody's resume because if the person you send in and they hire is a nightmare, that is only going to look bad on you. So, and then like that lowers your standard as well with, you know, like, oh, well, they sent me this like lunatic last time. We can't trust their judgment anymore. So I think, you know, it is turning cold relationships into warmer ones so that people feel comfortable passing it on. And then, you know, those relationships that are like more like coworkers or friendships to kind of keep them alive and, and reach out in that way. And I know like personally, even with my like friends, you know, outside of work, I forget to like reach out or text or email. So it is, it is something like that is a muscle and it's a, a habit you really have to create to remember to drop those little like even if it's just like, oh, commenting on somebody's Instagram post or something mm-hmm. so that you do pop up in their in their world, but not even like in a work way. But you do have to remember to because we can get so sucked into our jobs and, you know, we work so long. And then at the end of the day, you barely talk to the people like unless they're right in your vicinity. And like now with working from home, like, do I even leave the house? No, sometimes I don't. Mm-hmm. So you have to really like. I know I do remember to like reach out to people, even if it's in a small way, because you all, I always like hearing from people and you forget that people like as much as you like having somebody comment on a post or reach out and say, hi, other people like that too. So right. it's like, yeah, well that, that, that lack of a habit that you're talking about is what often leads to the following group message. Hey, everybody, uh, I'm just about to wrap my show at the end of the week. If anybody knows of any projects I'm looking right now, I need to find my next gig. Hope you're all doing well, resume attached, because there is no habit. It's Mm -hmm. I network when I'm unemployed. The best time to network is when you're gainfully employed, because then there really is no ulterior motive. It's Mm -hmm. I just want to chat with you and catch up, see how's your project going, or I saw the latest season of your show, you're brilliant, whatever it is. But that muscle often makes the difference between how easy it is to get the job after the unemployment ends and gets people out of that vicious cycle of I only mm-hmm. network when I'm desperate and I'm unemployed, which is the worst time to build your network. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately, like you said, the, the two words that I think are so important for people to understand is ultimately the goals are building trust 
and creating comfort. If they trust you can do the job and they're comfortable with you, boom, they'll pass you along. So in mm -hmm. this situation, you got to that point where somebody said, you have to look at Melinda's resume and you have to meet with her. But that's mm -hmm. where the networking ends, which brings us to the million dollar question. When you sat down in the chair and you're talking to the person that's the gatekeeper that makes the decision, how do you address the elephant in the room, which is not only is this scripted, this is one of the most high profile award-winning sketch show comedies on one of the most premium brands, why should I take a chance on you? A mutual mm -hmm. connection isn't enough to overcome that gap. So what story did you tell that they could take a chance on you? Well, I think that is where my having a lot of different genres of unscripted came into play. I, you know, I've cut, I had just kind of finished a, a semi-scripted kind of prank show. So it was very, you know, there was like one guy who was real and the rest were all actors. So in that um, kind of Borat vein. So I had just done a reality show and that. So I was like, oh my God, I just cut all this comedy, even though it was unscripted with this guy who's normally writes for so-and-so. And then I had also just finished a web series which was a comedic web series. And so, you know, when I had that interview and it was like, well, what have you been up to this year? I could be like, well, this is the comedy I cut, this comedy I cut, this comedy I did that. So I had something to show that worked with what they did, right? And I had that comedy experience. I had that kind of improv -y stuff going on. So I could say, oh, I just did this. And then I've also in the past done X, Y, and Z, which was definitely comedic. So, you know, I think it also, wherever you are right now, even if it is like in unscripted or you're assisting, like if you're in the, not in the genre you want to be in, or you don't have experience in that genre, like that is what you do need to find. So that when you get that chance, you can be like, no, I've lived in this world. I, I know what this is, which I think helped that I had, you know, I'd literally just come off of semi-scripted prank show and had cut this web series that it was like, oh, okay, the, she's in our world right now. Wait till we kick her ass when she sees what really is going on. But yeah, so I think that helped that I was also like, you know, and then even with, you know, American Horror Stories coming off of Black Lady Sketch Show, it doesn't seem like that would make sense. But I was also working on like after that wrapped, I took a short job on a paranormal ghost hunting show. And I've done a bunch of paranormal and ghost shows. And a couple of the indie things I did were horror suspense anyway. So I could be like, oh, well, yeah, I just finished the sketch show, but I also have a ton of like experience in this like thriller suspense ghosty vein as well. So it's, it's not a leap to take this person who just did a comedy and to come and cut your horror show. You know, I feel like I have enough of those different genres in my back pocket, even if it's in unscripted that I can say like, oh no, I know how to do this. It's just like slightly different format, which helps. And I think that's, that's the confidence that like just working on a bunch of different stuff, I can, I know I can do it because I've done it in the past, even if it's like, structurally different.
Yeah. So, so breaking that down, as you know, it's something we talk about during office hours and in uh, classes all the time, is that you are essentially saying, I already have all the transferable skills. On mm -hmm. paper, I don't have the experience, but all the skills that you are looking for, and more importantly, the problems that you're going to have creatively, I've solved all the problems. Whereas the mindset so often is, and I don't think you were ever in this space, but I hear a multitude of people when they're making a career transition, they always say, oh, but I have to start over. You're not starting over. You have years or decades of experience solving mm -hmm. problems. You just have to learn how to reshape your story so you could tell the story. All those creative problems you have, I've, I've solved those. Slightly different genre, slightly different medium, but I mm -hmm. understand the problems and I can solve them. That's what gives people the comfort and the trust. They're like, all right, well, that coupled with such a high recommendation from somebody we trust implicitly, all right, let's give it a shot. Let's try it out. Then it's your opportunity to say, see, I can do this. Now you've got the experience and the skills. So yes. you've, you've been able to navigate that in unscripted. You've applied that skill now to the scripted world. And who knows what type of project or genre or whatever it's going to lead you to next. But uh, I, I have no fear of you ever coming to me on a hot seat saying, I'm pigeonholed. What do I do? <laughs> like, I don't see that ever being a conversation that we have because you have those skills to definitely navigate all these different avenues. So yeah, um, that was the one thing I tried to I tried to load my basket with all the different tricks that I could so that I have, yeah, I have something to be like, oh, no, this is kind of similar to what you're mm -hmm. asking for. It's not the exact same, but it's pretty similar. Right. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. Uh, so last question, you may uh, already know because I've asked it uh, before, not of every guest, but I ask it of uh, a lot of them. We're going to go back into time traveling mode and you're going to jump in a time machine and we're going to talk to Melinda in give or take some time in 2019. Oh. And she is just fed up with working and unscripted and doing things that are just sucking her soul. But everybody's telling her, well, you can't make the transition. It doesn't work this way. You got to stay in your lane or you got to become an assistant. Mm -hmm. What is the advice that you're going to give to Melinda in 2019 when she hit the wall? I mean, hang in there. A little like cat meme. Definitely. I, yeah, I think patience, which is something I'm not good at. That, yeah, it takes time and you have to stick to your guns and and keep doing you know, at the same time, as, as much as some of those like indie projects sucked or were frustrating, you know, they are worth it in the end to have something like to show. I think that's, it made me feel less helpless when I could be like, no, I, I have done this. It's just not on the scale like you are maybe looking for, but I, I do have this experience that none of that is futile you know, and, and to also just in the meantime, like get on a couple different genres of, of unscripted, keep changing things up so that you feel fresh and like you are doing different things and it will all kind of build to something. But yeah, a lot of times it seems like it's not going to happen. And I would probably also say like, get on it a little bit more too though because like i definitely pandemic when during the pandemic i kind of took my foot off the gas because i was like nobody's working it's all crazy out there i don't know what's going on and i was lucky enough to be working basically that whole time i think i had like six weeks off so you know i was just i kind of like put my head down and was like i'm just grateful for this 
job and I'm going to keep going. And then when things clear up and it doesn't seem so awkward, then I'll get back to it. But if I had done it and been more proactive during the pandemic and not found excuses to not do it, to not network, maybe I would have been here a year ago as opposed to now. So, you know, it's like, there's no perfect time. So now is the time as maybe as ridiculous and trite as that sound, like just jump. Yeah. Just, just cause it sounds like the perfect Instagram quote card or cat meme doesn't mean that it's not also applicable. And I would, without going uh, any deeper into this, I would say that all of the fears and uncertainties and madness that you were facing in early to mid 2020, we're just going through a repeat of exactly that right now, at least as a recording this, I don't know what it's going to be like when this actually releases, but I have a feeling it's not going to be all settled down and the world is back to normal, whether I release this two weeks or six months from now. I'm pretty sure that what yeah. I'm saying will be evergreen and applicable. But for anybody that's thinking, I just want to wait it out, I'm going to put my head in the sand, wait for things to go back to normal. It's That's not going to move you forwards or get you anywhere. And you're, you're proof positive of that. So yeah, definitely. Now is the time during the strike. Seize that opportunity because a lot of people aren't working and and don't mind getting on a Zoom for right. an hour that's, and chatting. That's or time to connect. Even right? more, meeting for coffee or meet at the picket line. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It might be that everybody's socializing at the picket lines. I'm going to be really weeks, sad so. if I release this in a year and that's still applicable, but we'll, we'll find oh God, out. I'm no, pretty sure when no. I release it, it'll still be applicable, unfortunately. But anyways, really, really happy to finally have this conversation, which I knew was inevitable about four years ago. Just every once in a while, checking the calendar, like, hmm, is it time to check in with Melinda and see what's going on? And I remember, I don't remember what, exactly when it was, but it was just some little offhand comment about, yeah, I'm working on a black lady sketch show. And I'm like, yep, there it is. Time for me to reach out. It happened. Yep. Couldn't have predicted the timing of it, but I knew that the the outcome was coming. And now we're just going to have to figure out when to schedule the community mastermind Q&A where all of my students can meet the Emmy-winning editor of uh, HBO and FX shows. So I, I think those days are, are closer than you may think. Thank you. I mean, this was a goal. Like, you know, when I started your program, I was like, I want to do well enough that Zach will have me on podcast so I can check that too. Like, so you there know, you go. Bucket was, list uh, done. Bucket Finished. list. Yep. Complete. Getting it. Well Checking those done. boxes. So uh, really happy that you came to me back in the day and happy that you stuck me through too. it and always happy to see your name and your camera and microphone off every Tuesday and Thursday morning as we're workshopping everybody's challenges. Um, I'm not cute that early. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get it. Trust me, if I could do it with my camera and my microphone off, I would too. But I somehow have to find a way to roll out of bed and be coherent at 8 a.m., which for me is frankly impossible, but I find a way to do it. Yeah. But it's uh, been an absolute pleasure to have you in the community and to work with you and can't thank you enough for your time today. So final question, really mm -hmm. easy one. If anybody listening is inspired by your journey and they want to okay. connect and network, and P.S. to anybody listening, do not send your resume. But if somebody wants to connect with you and start a relationship, can they do so? And if so, how? Yes. Best way would be, I'm on Instagram at Malzane, M-A-L-Z-A-N-E. And you can also hit me up on my email would be Melinda Guerra, 16, M-A-L-I-N-D-A-G-U-E-R-R-A-1-6 at Gmail. Yeah, I have two different last names. 
I'm still in an identity crisis after getting totally married. Totally get it. That's a whole, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> whole that's nother a thing. different podcast, but um, we'll make sure to get all that in the show notes. Make sure we'll have a link to your IMDb page so they can see all your variety of different credits. They can contact you, but I uh, can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat with me today. Great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.